I know that you'll be glad to know that I am no longer um, susceptible to malaria, typhoid, hepatitis A, and I have a tetanus booster. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'd like to, uh, uh, I don't know whether this is going to work out, but I'd like to spend some time telling you all about this one of these days. But, um, you know, I, I'm going to head to India on the um, 17th of this month. And yesterday, I was in a luncheon um, at First Evan. It's a group of uh, preachers that got together. And maybe you know the name Stuart Briscoe. Does that name ring a bell with anybody, Stuart Briscoe? Anyway, well, Stuart Briscoe was, was uh, there. We were all meet with him. And, and uh, one of the reasons I went is that uh, First Evan has a missions pastor by the name of Pradeep. Pradeep um, is from India. So I wanted to go and, and meet with Pradeep. And um, so I, I ended up sitting next to Pradeep, and so I was asking for all this information and help and advice, and, uh, and so he was, he was offering us, you know. And the one uh, piece of advice that I want to tell you about is, um, I might tell this story lots of times because I'm still not quite over it. Um, oh, by the way, does, it, does the name Lewis Carter ring a bell to anybody? Lewis Carter? Okay. Well, Lewis Carter was sitting at the same table. Lewis Carter is a physician. And uh, Lewis Carter is the consummate missionary. I mean, he is, he's just been all over the world. He's been years here and years there. I mean, every country you've mentioned he's been to. So it's Pradeep, the Indian, and the consummate missionary, um, who's a physician and works in leprosariums and just, uh, just uh, Lewis Carter. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm the, <laughs> the idiot rookie greenhorn uh, asking, you know, oh, tell me about this, tell me about that. And, and um so uh, they begin to, and they tell me some things that, that um, will keep me awake at night between now and then. The, the thing that uh, was most concerning, all the way, all the way, they did say that malaria pills, um, they only produce blisters in the mouth. It's okay. It's, and they go away. But, the, but that's not the story. The story is um, uh, Lewis Carter said, he said, now, um, now Jimmy, I mean, they, they, weren't, they weren't, this was not a joke. He said, uh, now, if you have to go to the bathroom at night, you need to take a flashlight. I said, well, that's a reasonable request. I mean, a flashlight, I mean, path, where you're going. He said, India has this little creature that um, will trouble you uh, if you happen to be in the wrong spot. And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, gerbil or uh, 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 maybe even a rat, you know. I, you know, that's kind of. And so, I, and, and Pradeep sitting right here, and Lewis Carter, who, if you know Lewis Carter, he, he ain't messing around. He's the one that's telling me to take this flashlight. And um, I said, well, I mean, um, what kind of um, little furry creatures um, are these? And he says, <laughs> um, they're not furry. They're cobras. Yeah, that's real funny, uh, Sonia. <laughs> yeah, she gets great pleasure out of seeing me uh, meet up with a cobra. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll dance at your funeral too, honey. <laughs> a cobra. And Lewis Carter said, you know, he lived in such as oh, Bangalore, Bangalore, India. He said for six years, and he said, um, you know, we had those cobras out in our front yard. Oh, well, sure, we have those in Germantown. <laughs> anyway, that's, um, 
But I'm not going to get typhoid. I'm here to tell you. I have a pill. Um, okay, take your Bibles, if you will, and go to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And while I'm still dealing with my um, cobraphobia, um, <laughs> I just decided instead of taking the flashlight, <laughs> I'm just not going to the bathroom <laughs> for 12 days. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> I, know how to, I know how to win over those cobras. <laughs> Oprah, oh my! Um, I, I I've always liked Prague. <laughs> okay, verse thirty. Um, let me read twenty nine thirty. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called; and those whom he called, he also justified; and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, we are. Um, gratefully, at the end of verse 30, we have one more word to look at. It looks like it's going to take us tonight and next week to look at it. Uh, it is that last word, glorified. It's the last in that chain of five. Uh, I mentioned several weeks ago that this is called by some a golden chain, and it's five links in this chain. And, and, and it's very, very significant, guys. You know, we believe in the Bible not, not only for what it says, but for what it doesn't say. Things that it includes and things that it doesn't include. And here's one. The exclusion of that is very consequential. And we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But let me, let me just give you kind of a, a, a definition of glorification. It does, it, it means far more, for instance, if I could give you subsets underneath it and I, and, and I put um, um, my going to heaven, um, that would be true. It would be a nice little subset under the, the bigger term glorification. But there's more to it than this. And, of course, in the evangelical world, since all of theology terminates on us, that's all we're really interested in the first place. I mean, long enough, they do that. But glorification is more than that. It, it, it is this. Glorification is putting right or making right or putting back uh, all of creation back to the, to the condition that it was in prior to the entrance of evil and sin. Now let me tell you why that's important, guys. If glorification is not that, then the devil wins. And he wins for this reason. If all glorification is, is that you get to go to heaven and you get a ticket to heaven stuck in your pocket and everything's going to be fine for you and for eternity, then the all of creation is marred and scarred and, and, and left to pollute it. And, and um, all these bad things that have happened to the planet still remain impacted and, and influenced by the fall and by the entrance of sin. What glorification is saying to you is that in this event... God is going to put back. He's going to make right. He's going to, he's going to take everything. Everything is finally going to be delivered uh, and fully um, renewed back to the place where it, where it was before sin entered. God is uh, bound to do that or Satan has some kind of um, um, victory. Although they all be small, but every conceivable effect and result of, of sin and evil is going to be removed, which is the discussion of glorification, guys. 
Um, now, when, when you, and that includes, you know, my being uh, permanently made uh, or permanently placed in the presence of God. Yes, yes. But there's more to it, as, as I've tried to define. And that's a thrilling thing. That all of the impact and the effect of sin is going to be removed from the creation. But though it might be a thrilling thing to think about, um, there are some things that the New Testament has to say that, that aren't necessarily so thrilling as this comes to pass. Let's take a look. I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Now guys, there is a, there is a new... Uh, what I just said, um, I want to suggest to you, uh, once it has occurred, it, uh, it has to do with what the Bible calls a new heaven and a new earth. That's when the, uh, the, the, the world is experiencing a glorified state. All of creation experiencing a glorified state. Now, guys, um, this is a rather alarming passage of Scripture. And, and interestingly enough, you know about it, but we only know about it from Peter. Nobody else talks about this. This is um, Petrine. Only Peter talks. Verse 7. But by the same, uh, chapter 3, 2 Peter 3, 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Keep reading with me. Uh, go over to verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what are those things that are going to be dissolved? I mean, the, the old heaven and old earth... What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now guys, I think you know about that language, but I want you to know that it's not mentioned very often. This is particularly Petrine. Peter is the only one that mentions this stuff, although it is rather consistent with the statements made in the Old Testament. But do you hear what's going on? Let me show you one other one, and then we'll kind of try to move on. But it's in Revelation chapter 21, which is a, a much more pleasant scene. Um, uh, Revelation chapter 21 at verse 1, and John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now guys, normally when the book of Revelation is talking about the sea, it's talking about this vast, um, uninhabitable wasteland where um, men are uh, cut off from uh, anything good. So I don't know if you want to take that literally about there's not going to be any sea, that's up to you. But you'll notice... That the first heaven and the first earth had passed away the sea was no more. Now, gang, when it comes to talking about being glorified personally, that means that every impact, every consequence, every result of sin that has taken place against the creation and against me is going to be rolled back. Now, according to Peter, it appears that that's going to be a pretty um, frightening 
uh, occurrence. Um, you know, guys, um, I, I don't know that you share my opinion, and that's all this is, is an opinion. Um, but I do uh, get a great deal of, I do have a great deal of interest in seeing um, sin removed. And, and apparently, according to Peter, it's going to be done in a pretty um, violent way where God is going to reestablish a new heavens and a new earth without sin. And we're going to be in, involved, involved with that. But there's a lot of things that happen then. But that's what we're talking about when, it talks, when we talk about glorification. God is going to remove all the impact, all of the results of sin that have impacted you. Now, it, it will include the impact that it's had on creation as well. For instance, you know the language in Isaiah that talks about the, the, uh, the lamb will lie down with the lion and, and men will take their swords and turn them into plowshares and all that. That's describing this thing that God has committed himself to produce. So when you talk about glorification, that's what you're talking about. A complete elimination of the effects and consequences that sin has wrought on all of creation. So it's bigger than just singing, oh, that will be glory for me. It's, it's vastly more comprehensive. Now, having said that, um, I want you to go back to um, Romans 8. Um, now, uh, we all agree, I think, when we start thinking about being glorified, we look at being glorified as an event that awaits us sometime in the future, do we not? We look at being glorified as something that is in the offing, something that is in the future. Here's the point. When Paul writes this in Romans 8, uh, 30, the word glorified is not in a predictive or a future tense. It's found in the eros indicative, which is simply the, the best equivalent in the, in the Greek language for the past tense, although it's, it's, uh, it's more emphatic than our past tense. But Paul writes about this as something that has already occurred. You and I think of this something as something, uh, as something that's going to occur. Paul writes of it as something that already has occurred. Um, he, he speaks of this act as being something that has happened to us in the past. Now, how can you possibly explain uh, something like that? Well, guys... Um, you know, you remember, you might remember months and months and months ago when we started on, on Romans 8, I said to you that the chapter 8, the, 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 the primary focus of chapter 8 is Paul's communicating of security and assurance for the believer. What he is doing by putting this in the past tense is providing more grounds of our own sense of safety and security. In the mind of God, my friends, this has already happened to you. Um, if I know today that I am justified, 
I know that tomorrow I am glorified. Or maybe not tomorrow, but some, someday I can be confident that someday off in the future I will be glorified. There is such a finality to this that this is assured. And so because this is something that takes place in the past, so is this accomplished for you. Let me say it again. Paul is trying to provide more bases for you to feel confident about your future destination. He's trying to give you more grounds to say, I am indeed saved. And so he doesn't say, those who he justified, those he will later on glorify. No, it's already accomplished because it's bound up in in this whole justifying word. Now, now here's the other thing, guys, which, which I just think is I think is fascinating. Paul never mentions sanctification. He leaps from justification to glorification. And he makes that leap, ladies and gentlemen, because your sanctification does not in any way affect your standing and your destiny. There is a sense in which this is not even germane. You see, we've got the concept, and we 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 inflict such pain on ourselves because we're constantly checking on how this is going. Well, you know, the uh, the really sanctified, mature people—they're the ones who can really be confident that all is well with them. You know, but me, I'm alone. I'm a little defective and I'm not doing too good and I certainly don't perform the way those other people do over there at that church. Therefore, I, you know, <laughs> where, yeah, I can understand why they're talking so confidently, but I can't talk like that. Ladies and gentlemen, every believer has had this done to him. No matter how much of this he's experienced, Paul doesn't even consider it pertinent to the conversation. Now, I, I don't want to overstate that because I've got to come back and correct it. Just a, but do you see? He jumps from here to here. Because if, if I'm confident of this, I can be confident of this, even though this isn't all that I want it to be and all that it should be. Um, our sanctification makes no vital difference in our standing or our status, as does justification. Now, it is an inevitable process that proceeds out of justification, but my my um, my level of attainment here does not affect this at all. Can you see how that can be? How that can be helpful as you wrestle more with your own soul, because you look at your own soul and you think, oh, you know. Um, things aren't going real good, and I, you know, I really have been rather um, negligent. And, and I'm, guys, the last thing I'm trying to do, and I'll tell you that in a minute, I'm not trying to encourage negligence by any stretch. But I'm simply saying, this is not the determiner of this. That is. 
Um, how far you've made it, and I hope that you've made lots of progress, and hopefully you will make more. But that doesn't change your standing or your status. That was done when you were justified. The status and the standing were changed here, not in this. And I'm telling you down deep in all, and I said, I think I said this Sunday, but down deep in our hearts, we believe that if this were more true about us, God would love us better. He would love us more. We would, we would have less aches and pains if we just did this. If we were just more sanctified. Guys, I hope that you will have a great appetite for sanctification. But that appetite doesn't the presence or its absence can affect this. Paul doesn't want you to confuse your eternal well being um, with your temporal poor being. Your temporal lack of performance. Um, now, I always have to do this because I am not. I'm not trying to say. It, it, it was. Let me just point this out. Really interested. This is a systematic theology. This is a good one. It's a well thought of, thought of one. I've got about four systematic theologies in my. But I just bought this because it was a one line. This is Louis Burkhoff. Um, Louis Burkhoff doesn't even mention glorification. He goes straight from here to discuss the perseverance of the saints, which is what we're going to talk about next week, is the perseverance of the saints. Um, because this not only assures you of this, it also assures you of the perseverance of the saints. That is, uh, what occurs to us in justification inevitably produces a life of persevering faith all the way to the end. Um, the, the, the fact that Romans 8.30 ends with this statement, then he also glorified, introduces us to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And I, I think I hope you know what the perseverance of the saints is. It is, it is the notion that if this is really taking place in your life, you will persevere to the end. And, and I want to take a look at that next week. But I, want to, I just want to comment on that just a bit. Go with me, if you will, to... Uh, let's, let's look at a couple of passages. Um, if you can find First John real quick. First John, chapter 2. Now, guys, let me, let me make clear what I'm trying to say. The fact that Paul concludes his description by saying, then he will also be, then he will also glorify, implies that because of this, those same people will persevere to the end and be glorified. Alright? Here is a, a wonderful statement of that. Um, in verses 18 and 19 of 1 John 2. Stay with me. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist, Antichrist is coming, 
so now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. Here we go. They went out from us. Now who's that they, class? What, who's the they? The antichrists. And they went out from where? Who's the us? Who said that? The church. The point of origin for Antichrist, with a little a, the point of origin is the believing community. But they, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Now watch how confidently John writes his next clause. For if they had been of us, if they had been real, they would have continued with us. If they were really one of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. That it might become plain that they're not all of us. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see that the earmark of this thing happening is that you abide till the end. That you stick. For instance, um, you claim to have this marvelous relationship with God tonight. If you turn your back on it tomorrow, it just means that you didn't have it tonight. Because those who have this will persevere to the end. Because if they had been of us, oh no, yes, they wouldn't have remained with us. But they weren't of us, so they went out. You see that? This language of Romans 8.30 implies a persevering soul. Which is, which is you guys. Let me, let me tell you why, or let me show you how you're going to make it to here, and then we'll quit. Um, one, more, one more passage. 1 Peter chapter 1. I do this kind of early, but First uh, Peter chapter one. This is why you're going to make it to here, my brother and sister in Christ. This is this is why. Uh, beginning in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and fading, kept in heaven for you. You who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to reveal the last time. Now tell me, why is it that you're going to make it here? Because God is guarding you. That is, the commitment that he made to you here is a commitment that includes from that point to this one. The commitment that he has made to a believing man or woman is that he is going to make sure that if, if this has been performed, that will be performed. And so this, all of its ups and downs and disappointments and peaks and valleys, it doesn't matter in terms of your ultimate... Um, Destiny. Now, guys, um, here I go. 
Um, one of the objections for teaching something like I've just taught you is um, this, this trying to communicate this absolute certainty of confidence. One of the objections is that if you teach something like that, Jimmy Young, people will begin to live careless Christian lives. You can't teach something like that, Jimmy. If you say this doesn't matter, then people will go out and just live any old way they want to. Because what you've done is undercut the very guts of our, our motive for living holy lives. Don't teach that um, I know of a Roman Catholic priest who called this a damnable and pernicious lie. What I just told you. And, and part of the, the, the offense is that it will promote careless living. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? That can and does happen. But that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with what I just taught you. The trouble lies, not in what I've taught you, but the trouble lies in the people who abuse this glorious truth. You know, um, food is a good thing. We like food, don't we? But some of us abuse it. Um, but when we abuse it, we don't blame the food. We, uh, we blame the nincompoop who's eating too much. Guys, um, in my somewhat limited experience, which is getting more and more unlimited as I age, but it is people who believe in their security the most who are the ones who are the most concerned about the, the, the state and the care of their own souls. The, the, the concern that people have about maintenance of one's soul and walking close to the Savior, I find, is far more intense among those who are certain of their conclusion than those who are not. I want to read you just one quick thing and we'll wrap it up with this. This, is a, this comes out of a book that our staff is reading together. And it's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And... Um, uh, Spurgeon says this While I regarded God as a tyrant I thought my sin a trifle But when I knew him to be my father Then I mourned that I could have ever kicked against him When I thought God was hard I found it easy to sin but when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. Guys, you must never divorce the necessity of your persevering to the end from justification. You must never divorce sanctification. You must never do that. You must not try to eliminate them. But I'm telling you, Paul did. And his purpose in doing so was to communicate to you, do you understand just how safe you are? Everything from the day that you were saved does not change your standing and your status with the Lord God to the day that you die. 
I'm sorry you blew it. I'm sorry you're not living a holy life. Yes, that's not good. And very frankly, guys, it doesn't change your standing, but it does change your enjoyment. It'll change your appreciation of all that God has done, and you'll find consequence galore in my, my loose living. Yes, but none of that changes my status. And I am saying to you that I find the people who are most concerned about living holy lives are those who are the most confident about their ultimate destiny. Not the other way around. I don't think preaching this produces carelessness. I think knowing that I am safe and that I don't have to constantly look at my performance and how I did and what I'm doing and did I do that frees me to go throw myself at the feet of the Savior I love. I um, will also say this and I'll shut up. I've, said, I've used this before. I used it probably eight months ago. But just a, just a brief illustration. Imagine that you and your brother or you and your sister just inherited 20 acres of land. Your father died and just just uh, entrusted to you 20 acres of land. You got 10, your brother got 10. They're identical pieces of property. They're both flat. There's no trees. They're in the same spot. They have the same elevation. They have the same area. They're the same pieces of land. 10 acres for you, 10 acres for your brother. Your brother gets out of your ten, in his 10 acres and begins to work it and till it and plant it and pull it and, and fertilize it and water it and just... You know, have all kinds of things that he's got going on there. But you, you spend all of your time down in the title office, uh, checking out the deed and the title insurance, and you're concerned about whether it's really yours or not, and you want to hire a lawyer and make sure that all is well, and you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's. At, at harvest time, ladies and gentlemen, who's got more to point to in terms of fruits? The one who was confident or the one who wasn't? I'm saying to you guys, the ones who produce a greater concern of their soul are those who have that great measure of confidence. That is the Apostle Paul's approach to his people. That's, how he, that's why he writes Romans 8, to make sure that you have a sense that all is well. This indeed is going to happen because that man. Now, get on with this. We'll talk about it somewhere next week. Get on with this. You must never divorce them. But understand, you don't need to keep going back to examining this. So that you can worry about that. If that has occurred, whatever happens in here will not change this. And Father, I do pray that your people will find a greater sense, an increasing sense of confidence about their whereabouts of their soul eternally. That they will know that one day every impact, every effect of sin that is so troubled us for so long we will be gone and then there is the great day of the Lord when all will be set right not just us but the planet as well the, the creation too will experience a purging so that sin's scars sin's marks, sin's devastation will no longer be observable now Father dismiss us with a greater a higher sense of our safety. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for dying.